Hello everyone and welcome to Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host. Here in Reykjavik we're having a pretty bright and sunny weekend, it's pretty nice. The The Reykjavik Arts Festival is in, in full swing currently. I've been popping out to go and visit a couple of uh, interesting exhibitions and performances around town over the last week. It's a fun time of the year, there's just lots to see and people out. You know, after the after the long couple of years that everyone's had, it feels nice to feels nice to feel safe to go out and attend events and stuff. So I've been doing a little bit of that, um, and I'm going to be doing that after this show. I'm going to go and see an indoor beach, complete with sunbathers and beach people, that has been recreated in a museum. Um, so there's lots of fun stuff going on in Reykjavik at the moment. It does mean that my game attention has been a little down compared to usual, I guess. There's just so much going on in town, and summer is here. Um, but I have played lots of games, but not a lot of any one thing. And so for this episode, I've decided, rather than my usual format of like a little intro and then a review of a game, I'm just going to talk through a few different things that have come up in the last week. I have tried out a good five or six different games and played one or two hours of them. So I'm going to give some impressions of those games. That includes things like The Outer Wilds, which I've been meaning to play for ages. Um, Card Shark, a new indie game that um, is getting some nice notices. Um, I played the demo of that on Switch. Um, I'm going to talk about Super Mario 3D World, which I played as my my birthday game last week. I've had it sitting on a shelf waiting for the the right moment to break out a fresh new Mario game. It's always a very fun thing to do. I love having Nintendo games just on deck for like Christmas holidays or, you know, just when you you have a little bit of time, you want to sit down and just play like a really fun, enjoyable game. So I'll talk a little bit about Mario 3D World. Um, I'm also going to talk about a couple games that I've played on iPad. There was a little bit of chat in the show's Discord this week about short games that are good for holidays. People are off on their holidays. And most people have an iOS device or an Android device that can run these mobile games. So I'm going to talk about the two mobile games that I played most recently. Um, They are also available on Steam and console. So I'm going to give little reviews or mini reviews of the Almost Gone and Behind the Frame. And I didn't finish either game, but I have played um, a good few hours of each one. So I'll talk about those as well. But I thought I'd start this episode by talking about the Sony State of Play. Um, They had a game unveiling half hour video presentation on YouTube. Um, These things are sort of interesting. There's always something good comes out of them, you know. I think um, for, for mainstream uh, AAA Sony players, this is very exciting stuff. But as someone who tends to lean towards the indie side, at least, and has like a, more of a passing interest in AAAs, um, I would say that like Nintendo Indie World is the one that I get most excited about, the Indie World presentations. Um, a lot of those games will just come out immediately on Switch. There'll be a lot of indie games that you hadn't heard about until that moment. Um, and it's usually quite a diverse mixture of stuff. But there was a couple of games that caught my attention in this state of play outside of all of the big ones like uh, the Resident Evil 4 remake, um, which I am vaguely interested in, actually. I played half of the first Resident Evil 4 and quite enjoyed it and had a really good time with Village lately. So it is a game that I might play, but 
the ones that caught my attention um, and the attention of most people in my timeline were Stray, which is uh, a game in which you control a cat uh, who has a little backpack on and who is journeying through a cyberpunk city. Um, and we've been waiting for this game for quite a while. It's been um, There's been trailers of it sloshing around on the internet for what seems like forever. It's by Blue 12 Studio, who I've never heard of before, and it's published by Annapurna Interactive, um, a pretty notable indie publishing house. And we got a release date for, for Stray, finally. It's coming out on July the 19th, and the interesting news was that it's going to be on the PS Plus subscription service as a day one release. So this is, this is really interesting, because Sony had previously only said that AAA games, their, their first-party games, aren't going to be uh, day one on the PlayStation Plus subscription service. They're going to keep selling games, basically. But they do have to try and compete with Game Pass, and it's obviously on their mind to do so. Um, and so it's really interesting that a big indie game like Stray that actually has quite a lot of hype around it is going to be a PlayStation Plus day one release. That's great news um, for anyone that's looking forward to playing it. Um, I personally have... PS Plus and PS Now um, subscriptions, so I think I'm going to be like catapulted onto the tier where I'll be able to play Stray. So this is interesting news. Like, hopefully, um, it's for good for gamers. I think if we if we get more games being served up to us as part of subscriptions that we're paying for anyway. Um, but we saw some more of Stray as well. We saw some gameplay. Um, we saw some cutscenes. And it's looking really interesting. The music sounds wonderful. It's got a very ambient um, electronic soundtrack that I, I was really enjoying the, the the sound of. We saw a little bit more movement. Um, and in my opinion, this is where Stray will live or die, really. If you're playing as a cat, you want to be nimble. You want to feel like the movement is very fluid, you know? The way that cats move, the way that cats jump and land. Um, it's pretty graceful most of the time, you know, and so you kind of want to feel graceful. Um, you want the movement to feel fluid, and I think that that's going to be the key factor. It's it's going to be the live or die for Stray. Um, and we saw a little bit of it. We saw the cat jumping um, onto, uh, what were they, like hanging beams, and then leaping between them onto windowsills, onto railings and things like that in, in in the way that cats do, the way that cats do when you watch one. Um, but it was interesting to see that there were some on-screen prompts for jumping. So as the cat was walking down a beam, we could see a little dot appearing on a parallel beam, which I guess illustrates where the cat's going to jump to if you hit the button. So it suggests that there is some degree of automation in there, um, so that if you hit the jump button, the cat will jump to where the prompt lies, where the target lies. And that's kind of interesting. Um, it's definitely taking away a little bit of direct control, if that is indeed how it works. But it's adding a level of automation because, you know, holding a controller, looking at a screen and leaping between tiny little um, surfaces that you can uh, narrow surfaces and hanging things that cats can leap onto can be pretty tricky for a clunky old human with slow human eyes holding a controller. So perhaps in order to make it feel more cat-like, it's interesting if they've added more automation to the movement. I'm going to be really interested to see how that feels to play. Um, we also saw some more stealth and escape gameplay. There were moments where you're trying to avoid spotlights. There are moments where you're being chased. Um, and we got a couple of glimpses of, of new things. So we saw... 
We saw the cat being punted down a canal by a robot. It seems that I haven't seen any humans in this game yet. We've, As far as I am aware, there's only been robots, and they seem to like you. They seem to like the cat friend and to want to help the cat friend do whatever it's doing. We also got a really nice look at a huge tree. It was the final shot in the trailer, and the camera panned up, and we could see... Um, pipes and buildings wrapped around this giant tree with neon signs as a and a deep neo Tokyo type of vibe to it, and so um, I'm very excited for that one. It'll come out in a month. It's a really nice summer game to look forward to. Um, a surprise game that was in the state of play was Season: A Letter to the Future, uh, developed and published by Scavengers Studio, um, and this one spoke to me straight away. We saw a protagonist cycling through nature. We could hear the clicking of the bike wheels, and they seemed to be freewheeling down a long hill through the trees, through the nature, with clouds overhead. Um, it was very carefree and beautiful, and it had a very lovely summery vibe to it, um, a nice art style with a uh, blocked out color, but just the right amount of detail. Uh, the music was lovely. It was very relaxing. Um, and so I dug into this one straight away. I thought this looks like it could be something really fun. Um, it turns out that the game is about documentation. So there's a little bit of photography. There's a little bit of sound recording. There's a little bit of exploration and conversation. So it's got a, um, you know, like a loosely ballpark, firewatchy, um, Alba nature adventure kind of feel to it. I really like both of those games. And so this is going to be a new entry into that that documentation genre, I guess, where you're taking pictures, you're exploring, you're recording, and you're trying to figure out a mystery. Uh, the mystery here seems to be that a season is ending in this mountain community, this rural community. Um, it's It's leaving and people are worried. They don't know what's going to come next. And you are documenting the changing of a season. So it seems to have some environmental concerns to it too. Um, I would say that while I'm very intrigued by this game, um, a little bit of worry crept in because, you know, um, I didn't particularly gel with games like Umarangi Generation, which was basically a kind of a, a clunky pixel hunting photography game. Um, a lot of people love it. It won the Seamus McNally Grand Prize. It's a, it's a loved indie game. Um, but I can't stand it, and it's it's very strange for me to feel that way. Usually, Seamus McNally Grand Prize games are at least interesting to me, but I find Umarangi Generation very difficult to play, very frustrating. It's too slow to move. And you're basically looking for um, a frame that contains um, a certain amount of things, like five cats or nine flags. And so what it boils down to in Umarangi Generation is that it's a hidden object game. Um, perhaps my least favorite of all video game genres, but just in a 3D photography setting. And then I think about games like um, Miles Morales, the Spider-Man game, which I really enjoyed. Um, but there were moments when you had to sample sounds by looking around and trying to match sound waves um, to sample them for beats, for example, like the sound of a train track or mechanical sounds, the sound of vents um, pouring out steam into the street, the sounds of traffic or you know, someone bouncing a basketball, all of these things, you could sample all those sounds. Um, more fun in theory than practice, again. So um, for season, A Letter to the Future, to be mostly based on photography and sound recording, great in principle, but I really hope that the implementation of it is fun, basically. Um, it has been fun to take pictures in games, you know, like Alba and Nature Adventure 
was a great example of that. You just get to run around beautiful nature, um, a little island, a holiday island, and you can take pictures of birds. You get points for taking pictures of birds, but you're never um, forced to look for anything specific. It has a very freewheeling summer holiday kind of vibe to it. Um, and I'm interested to see what what side of the tracks season uh, a letter to the future falls down on in regards to these gameplay concerns Um, but i'm very interested in it i'm going to be keeping an eye on it and so for me that was the two things that leapt out from state of play Um, and it was really interesting to see two good indie games lined up as being important titles for sony at this state of play nice to see indie games getting their moment in the sun and i'm looking forward to both of them It was also really fun this week to dip into the demo of Card Shark. This is a a game about cheating at cards in, um, I don't even know, it looks like maybe the Victorian era. There's lots of lords and ladies and things like that. It seems to be set in France during that period. Um, And this is a game about cheating at cards. It's got a hand-drawn art style. You'll sometimes be looking at a scene from the side. You'll see your character, who is a young, mute barman, who's taken under the wing of a professional card shark. Um, I always thought it was a card sharp, um, with a P, card sharp. I thought a card sharp was someone that cheats at cards. But I just looked it up, and it turns out that it's interchangeable with card shark. So it's not a play on words, it's just a different way of saying it. Um, So in this game, you're taken under the wing of this uh, infamous cheat and thief who takes you on a journey and you will visit stately homes you'll visit bars where politicians and lords are drinking you will visit uh, gypsies and caravans and you will learn different kinds of card tricks you'll learn to help the comte um your benefactor to cheat your cards and to win money you'll be gambling you'll be doing card tricks and so there's a little bit of side on walking around talking to people but it's very minimal Um, the main meat of the game comes when the cards are laid onto the table and what this amounts to is a series of mini games um, and quite good ones quite fun ones you have they do manage to recreate the feeling of setting up um, a magic trick or setting up a stacked deck so you have to remember a sequence of things to do for example if you're looking at the cards all fanned out on the table you pick them up you can cut them by hitting down on the l stick you can shuffle them by hitting a different direction you can mark a card by hitting um, one of the face buttons um, and then shuffle again and cut again and you have to remember how to do all of these things so that when the cards are dealt um, your player the comp will get the best cards and win. So you're trying to stack a deck. You're trying to help him cheat. There are other times when you have to, for example, look over someone's shoulder, identify the highest uh, value cards or what they have the most of, what suit they have the most of, at the same time as you're trying to pour their wine. So this is a really funny mini game where you're trying to pour wine without overflowing onto the table. You're also trying to look at their cards. Um, and it's just a little tricky little sub game. Um, there's also a QTE style game where you are doing that trick where you put, it's a find the queen game. So you show someone the queen, you put it down on the table, you put down two of the cards, and then you mix them around and muddle them around. And there's a little bit of sleight of hand you can do to cheat, to move the queen in a way that they are not expecting, so that when they try and pick the queen, they'll get it wrong, and you'll win their money. Um, and this is this is quite an interesting one. Um, for me, the jury is out on it a little, 
because it does have quick time events in it and it seems like you have to basically memorize a long sequence of button commands in order to successfully execute a trick. Um, and it was taking me quite a long time to learn them. Um, I think I just perhaps wasn't providing the correct amount of attention. So it's a game that you're going to have to concentrate on. It looks like there are over 20 different tricks and cheats that you can learn in this game. And you're going to have to learn them to the degree at which you can just remember them and execute them by heart. I've got a feeling that as the game progresses, it will mix up the different kinds of things that you're expected to do in, in uh, rows, you know. So you're going to have to remember all of those tricks and be able to pull them off. Um, and sometimes, apparently, it can be a matter of life or death, as well as just gold coins. But this is a really charming game. Um, it has it has a sense of humour to it. It has a little bit of darkness to it. It has a bit of a nod and a wink. You do feel that you're being let into a kind of a magic circle. So I've enjoyed Card Shark so far, and I, I will continue playing it. Uh, when I finish the demo, I'll see how I feel about picking up the full game and covering it again later. But for now, I can give it a soft recommend. If that sounds fun to you, then uh, it's very well presented, very well put together, very fun uh, little game, Card Shark. The next games I'm going to talk about are a pair of games that I played on the iPad. So it's a little bit in response to the Discord conversation started by a Discord member, Narita Boy, who was asking about games to play during holidays. And whilst I didn't finish either of these games, and they are not uh, hard recommends from me, um, it did get me thinking about the kind of games that you might want to play on a holiday. I remember when I travelled last time, I took my Switch with me and I had stacked up my Switch with games from my backlog that I had brought to the front to remind me that they exist and a couple of games that I had bought, including things like 80 Days, the, uh, the, the Inkle story game, which is a retelling of the Jules Verne classic where you travel around the world. But I, I soon discovered on the plane when I opened up 80 days as per my plan, looking forward to, you know, three hours of uninterrupted game time, just sitting on a plane, looking at the clouds, looking at my Switch. Um, there was a lot of reading in 80 days, and it turned out that during flying or traveling, my mind can be a little scattered. I can feel like my attention isn't quite there. And so perhaps what I need is something that is mechanically very simple, um, visually appealing, with not too much... Um, gameplay, not too much reading. And so iPad games are kind of perfect for that, you know, puzzle games like the Monument Valley kind of game where you um, you play relatively undemanding puzzles, although Monument Valley does get difficult later um, and does require a little bit of lateral thinking. You're just looking at beautiful colors, listening to beautiful sounds, moving things with your finger on the screen. You don't have to remember 21 button inputs. It's just touch and play. Um, and I have played two games like that across the last months. Um, the first one is called Behind the Frame. This is a game that came out on Switch recently, but has been out on iOS for quite a while. It's by Silver Lining. It's published by Akupara. Um, Metacritic has it at a seven 
from critics and an 8 from players. Um, it's a game that I was going to skip for the show because I played a little bit of it and I didn't fall in love with it, but I think that that might just be my taste. I think that this is a quality game. It's very pretty to look at. It has a line-drawn graphic style. Um, it has a lovely soundtrack and it has a heartfelt story. I think I would line it up alongside games like Florence, um, although it's less mechanically interesting than Florence. Florence is a series of ever-changing mini-games in which you're scrubbing, you're sliding things around on the on the screen. It uses the touchscreen in really interesting ways. Behind the frame isn't quite there, but it has a similar atmosphere. And I think that fans of Florence who are looking for something to play during the summer holidays might enjoy Behind the Frame. It's a narrative graphic adventure that takes place in an apartment. You're an artist who is seeking inspiration. Um, you can look around the apartment by tapping on things, like you can look at pictures, you can look at things on the walls. There is a minimal painting mechanic where you have to sweep your finger across the screen to paint. You have to mix new colours. Um, and when you've finished your painting, um, you'll get a little story beat. There is a grumpy old man across from you in a window is looking at you. You'll get memories, you'll get um, interesting story things that will happen. Um, however, for me, the gameplay wasn't quite there. Um, it is a little bit like I found myself frustratedly tapping everything on the screen in the hope that something would happen, you know. I think you're supposed to play this one in a slow, flowing style and just really soak it in and enjoy it. I found myself feeling a little impatient, prodding the screen, not knowing quite what to do. Um, I felt that there was a little bit of hidden object stuff going on, as I've described earlier in the show. I'm a little bit allergic to that kind of gameplay. So it's not one for me, but it might well be one for others. Um, it is now out on Switch, so it's getting uh, you know a little bit of a second life, a second wave of attention. That's behind the frame. And the next iPad game that I want to talk about is called The Almost Gone. This is um, a gothic puzzle game with a touchscreen mechanic. It's by a developer called Happy Volcano. It is out on Switch, Mac, PC, iOS and Android. I played it on an iPad. Um, this one gets around a 7 from critics and between 5 and 7 for users, so a little bit less well-received than Behind the Frame. And this one is um, a different kind of game. Um, you're looking at... Um, an isometric room. You're looking at a room at any one given time and you can rotate the room to see things on different walls. You can move from room to room by clicking on doors. In each room there are objects to look at, there are things to pick up, there are um, hazards and obstacles. And this is a really unsettling game in a way because it's a little bit like you're a child that's woken up in a house but the house has gone through the looking glass and everything has gone strange. People have gone missing. Um, you know, there are chunks missing from things. There is black ooze around the place. Uh, magical things happen. Like if you slice a painting, it will open up to reveal a secret cupboard with things inside, notes, letters, photographs that you then have to use to open the way forward. Um, and so it's it's quite an obtuse, gothic little puzzle game. Uh, you're tapping the screen to move, you're examining things, collecting things. It has a ghostly setting that is like some kind of purgatorial limbo, and that is reflected in the look of it. It's very monochromatic with little splashes of colour. 
and it's represented in the mood and the soundscape. Um, the music is quite unsettling. It's quite um, atonal. Um, it's discomforting. So the whole game tries to put you on edge as you're trying to solve these puzzles. Um, however, uh, while it sounds good so far, I, I played for about two or three hours and several times I found myself trying to brute force puzzles that I was supposed to be solving using logic um, just by trying all the options. Um, and that was a theme that kind of persisted. I found that I wasn't really gelling with these puzzles. I found that the s solutions were a little too abstract or obtuse. And th there were times at which I had five or six objects in my inventory. Um, and I could see that you could do stuff with them, but I just wasn't sure what to do. I, w I wasn't able to read the language of this game. Um, and so I tailed off playing it. But I thought I would mention it here because for players who have more patience than I and more will to try and uh, to try and gel and click with the thinking behind uh, touchscreen puzzle games. This could be a really fun one. This could be a really fun little distraction if you are into those kind of puzzle room, puzzle box games where you're turning everything around, you're trying everything out. If you're into a little bit of hidden object and a little bit of point and click, um, then you might well enjoy the Almost Gone. It's certainly quite memorable in its presentation. Um, and I am glad that I tried it out at least. Uh, but it just wasn't the game for me. Uh, that's the almost gone. So I did also try The Outer Wilds this last week. It's a game that I've been meaning to try forever. I love Fallout 4, as you'll know if you're a long-time listener. There was a series of uh, episodes where it's kind of all I was playing. I was squeezing in one-hour indie games to talk about on the podcast whilst secretly just binging Fallout 4 with every spare moment that I had. So I'm a big fan of Fallout. Um, I like the, the mixture of um, setting of this retro-futurist 1950s sci-fi, like um, a vision of the future that, that's, that's gone now. You know, the future won't be that way. And so it becomes an interesting aesthetic to use. The Outer Wilds repeats that. It also repeats some classic Fallout gameplay. Um, I felt Fallout vibes immediately um, in the character creator, for example. Um, the faces look a little bit like the faces in Fallout 4. It has a, a, a strong Fallout 4 vibe through and through. Um, there's a lot of humour, there's a lot of um, interesting characters that you'll meet who have interesting dialogues going on. There is some shooting, there is some collecting of everything that you find in order to craft and sell. Uh, there is an interesting skill tree that you can use to unlock um, different abilities or to make your gunplay or your melee attacks more effective or different things like charisma and intelligence. It's got those central RPG elements. Um, I would say the good things about the time that I've spent with The Outer Wilds were that it felt so cosy and fun and familiar to just jump back into a Fallout-type game. It, it really is a little bit like Fallout in space to me so far, um, and that's no bad thing. Um, I really like the art style. It was very colourful, very bright, and I've got a feeling that I'll be travelling between planets uh, once I've got my ship off the ground. That's the first mission in this game. So I'm running around a, a Wild West space town um, trying to get uh, power 
coupling or whatever so that I can get my ship up and running. Um, there's also a strong dash of cultural commentary in this game, which was quite interesting. Um, corporations are completely out of control and really rule over the lives of the workers and, and indoctrinate them to some degree um, with corporate culture that has become mainline culture. Um, it seems to relate a little bit to the, the old tradition of miners being paid in scrip, not um, currency, but rather tokens that they can then exchange for goods in company stores. Um, so their, their work has been devalued um, and they are trapped a little bit. Um, and so that's the kind of thing that The Outer Wilds is talking about. It's an interesting game. It's, I would say the bad things about it so far are that it feels incredibly dated for a game that came out in 2019. Um, Fallout 4 came out years before that and this feels about at the same level. Um, so it's graphically a little behind the times. Um, lots of things about it are a little behind the times. I was quite surprised by the NPC intelligence. You have companions in this game, um, and there are lots of baddies that you have to shoot, but the baddies are pretty, pretty dumb. They run around, they show you their back a lot. Uh, they run between um, cover in a way that just allows you to just mow them down. They're really, really dumb. And the companions don't seem incredibly intelligent. They're just running around bumping into stuff. Um, there's some excesses of Fallout 4 that are not the best aspects of the game. For example, inventory management and carry capacity. You pick up everything you find in this game in case you can sell it or use it, but you find that your carry capacity is just instantly full, and so you're constantly juggling silly objects, dropping guns, throwing away things of value just so that you can walk at the proper speed. It does that thing where you slow down when you're overburdened. Um, and that, that shit should get out of here. That shit's done. Like, we're sick of that. We're sick of inventory management and throwing away ashtrays and robotic arms that we've somehow picked up. Um, I think Horizon Forbidden West solved that problem by having a stash overflow where resources go so that you're not slowed down. Why not do that? Why not just say, you know, it's sci-fi. Let's say you've just got a teleporter in your backpack that just sends stuff to your ship, whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm not enjoying the inventory management. Um, and it is a little dated feeling. Um, I was a little surprised by that. I thought it would be more up-to-date just because of when it came out. Um, but perhaps I've been a little spoiled by playing lots of next-gen PS5 and Xbox Series S games. This is, after all, a PlayStation 4 game from before the PS5 launched. Um, but it seems like a fun little first-person sci-fi RPG. Um, I will come back to it, I think. Um, I, I am going to come back to it. I'm going to persevere with it and see if it gets its hooks into me. That's the Outer Wilds. Um, I also spent a bit of time playing Super Mario 3D World um, in the last week, in the last couple of weeks actually. I've been really enjoying myself with it. Um, I really enjoy the transition from 2D to 3D that Nintendo have done with Mario. It's lovely to see them growing um, the Mario world and the Mario universe. Um, I really enjoyed Odyssey. It's like a close to flawless game. Um, I really enjoyed Super Mario 3D Land on the Game Boy. I played that one to completion um, and had a lot of fun with it. So I was really excited to get into this one. Um, and it's just so much fun. It just has all of that Mario joy and Mario cuteness that we love. 
Um, this one has Cat Mario. It's the first time I've seen Cat Mario, I think, or um, at least the first time that it's in the game this much. So you can run around, you can scale up trees, you can swipe with your claws. Um, it's just so fun playing Mario as a cat, you know. Um, it's just a, a complete joy. Um, it has very short levels. They are ornate. They are perfectly designed, as Nintendo always do. There is a huge amount of gameplay variety from timed jumps and platforming to trapeze artist stuff, um, sliding down giant slides, um, different types of enemies, different kinds of obstacles. There's always something different. Um, the themes vary from level to level. Um, so even if you're in like the you know, the forest zone or the mountain zone, you'll come across levels that are haunted houses and that are rhythm puzzles and things like that. So it really mixes it up even within the world themes. So this game just never gets old, um, at least not so far for me on World 5. It's just this endless torrent of fun ideas in the way that Nintendo really does the best. I think when it comes to colourful, joyful video games, Nintendo cannot be beat. And I think that this is a really good example of that. Um, it's not perfect, though. I mean, I died a lot, um, but never from... It didn't feel like I had died because I messed up. Like, you know, in the old Mario games, if you miss a jump, you miss the platform, or you kind of bang your head in the wrong place, or an enemy gets you... You feel like that's fair enough. In this game, most of the times that I died were because of the 3D. Um, there isn't much camera control. You can tilt the camera by a few degrees left and right. Um, but often I found that my depth perception wasn't quite there. Um, and so I was trying to jump onto, for example, a pipe whilst an enemy was bearing down on me. Um, and it looked to my eye like I was going to land exactly on top of the pipe. But because of the 3D and the way it works, I just landed somewhere else and died. Um, and that happened again and again in this game. I think roughly 100% of my deaths were from misjudged jumps through uh, due to depth perception issues and trying to move through a 2.5 or 3D space. Um, you're often relying on following your shadow. Um, to see where you are in relation to the ground. But that doesn't help if you're jumping into the foreground. You can't even see your shadow. So um, there's a depth perception problem in this. I'd be curious to know if other people feel the same. It's a great game. It's a colourful game. It's a Mario game. But sometimes I was just getting my jumps all wrong and feeling a little bit frustrated with that because I didn't feel like I had executed them incorrectly. I felt like I wasn't um, able to read the screen properly. Um, and so my jumps were failing because of that. Um, this game also came with Bowser's Fury in the Switch release, a new open-world Mario game. Um, I haven't played that one yet, but whilst playing Mario 3D World, um, there is a level where you come to an open field um, and you can just run around as Cat Mario, who can run pretty fast. Um, and in different directions, you'll find mini puzzles, you'll find enemies, you'll find collectibles, you'll find rabbits that you can chase through the open space. Um, and that was a real light bulb moment for me. It was the first um, time, even even given, even having played Odyssey, which is semi-open world, but this one was just such a broad open field and you could run so fast that... It just felt like a taste of what Mario could be like in an open world. Um, and I am really looking forward to playing Bowser's Fury um, and getting a little taste of what the future of Mario could be like, like a, a truly open world Mario game. 
um, could be just something really, really brilliant. I'm very excited about that. Odyssey moved in that direction with these large, quite open levels. Um, and of course, Nintendo has done this. They've taken Zelda and made Breath of the Wild. So, and, and you know, Prime has some open spaces. So they are trying to bring their classic series into the present day. Um, and I've got a feeling that, you know, if if this is anything to go by, then we could see a truly open world Mario game in the future. And that's just a very, very exciting thought. Um, so I'm going to keep playing Super Mario 3D World. I've got, I think, a couple more worlds left to go. Rocketing through it pretty fast and doing pretty well, apart from those uh, jumping problems. It's a great game. Um, I bought it as a physical there is something sentimental about having a Nintendo Mario cartridge and inserting it into your console, even if it's just like a silly little memory card at this point. It just feels nice to do. Anyway, that's Super Mario 3D World. I'll be continuing to play that one. So that was a bit of a mixed bag of an episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, it was really fun to talk through uh, the Almost Gone, um, all those iPad games, all of that state of play news. I'm very excited for Stray, and I've been having great fun playing Mario. Just a very bitty week for me. There wasn't really a game to focus on fully for a review, so this is just a mixed bag episode. Different format to usual. Um, do let me know if you did enjoy this episode. Um, I would like to hear from people. I always love to hear that um, people are enjoying the show or to get feedback on episodes. So do let me know if you thought this was okay, if it's something that you wouldn't mind hearing from me in the future. Um, if I haven't got a single game to focus on, I could just run through a few bits of uh, video game news and a few... Um, touch on some games rather than doing a deep dive into one specific game. Um, it lightens the load on me a little bit, I guess. Um, sometimes I do rush from game to game because I feel like under pressure to get something finished for the podcast. And I think it um, sometimes kills me going back to games. But I did do a little bit of that this week too, you know. I went back to Cyberpunk 2077. It's a game that I really enjoyed. Um, it's currently sitting on my games of the year list, at least the version 1.5 is. Um, although, you know, it's a 2020 game, um, but here it is in 2022, finally finished, finally ready for the next-gen consoles. Um, and I've been dipping back into that and having so much fun in that world, just earning money, doing side quests, answering uh, Night City police calls, um, finding new weapons, new clothing, buying new apartments, and just doing all of this post-credits stuff. The world of cyberpunk is so fun. Um, I really enjoy the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay and driving around. Um, you get texts from people that you've met throughout the game. You get new side quests that are often pretty interesting. Um, so I've been having fun with that. I also dipped back into Horizon Forbidden West a little bit. I ran around and completed some tasks for merchants, um, recovering interesting things for them, just tidying up side quests. Um, and so I, it's something that I would like to do more of, actually. It's just to really bask in open world games that I've enjoyed rather than rushing away after credits to do the next thing for the podcasts. I do think there is a PSVR episode in the future though. Um, I have four PSVR games that I've picked up on sale over the last few months. I have Mask Maker, a really interesting one where you swap masks with people and forge masks. I have Moss 2, that Moss being that 
that launch game for PSVR where you play as a little mouse. I have Ghost Giant and I have Winds and Leaves. So that's four different PSVR games that I'm stacking up. I think I should play them now before PSVR 2 launches. Do a little swan song episode for the PSVR. Um, so perhaps that's in the future. I also picked up Rebel Space Outlaw. It's been on my wish list forever and it was £7. It's like a space flying hand solo game like Firefly meets uh, Star Wars. And I also bought Dishonored 2 because it was £4 on sale and Louis from Timeplay3HR gave it a hearty recommendation on Twitter and I thought for £4 I should, I should get that one, add it to my collection and try it again. I know it's a stealth game um, and I know that the, the visual style of it looks pretty incredible. So I've got a few things lined up. Um, Stray in the future as well. Lots of fun games coming. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, if you did, you can find me on social media at Gaming in the Wild on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook and YouTube. Um, there is a Patreon for this show if you would like to support it. If you've gotten all the way to the end of the show and you're still listening, um, maybe you would like to go to patreon.com slash gaming in the wild and for a dollar a month you can get extra episodes and access to the show's discord community um, i am also very appreciative of anyone that leaves a star rating on spotify you can do so by hitting the three little buttons the three little dots to open the extra stuff menu um, and anyone that leaves um, a review on itunes um, i also really appreciate those it helps people find the show lets me know people out there are listening and enjoying the episodes so thank you very much for listening take care of yourselves and each other bye bye for now